Welcome back to the Silver Screen Roll Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sabrina Merchant, and this is I Love Basketball. I'm joined today by Anthony Irwin. Anthony, how are you doing? Doing good. Doing good. We're just, uh, we had a bit of a storm here. I was a little touch and go about our internet, but they, it passed over us. We're, we're, we're good so far. Knock on wood. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, knock on wood. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess that's the beauty of recording a podcast versus like live radio. You know, there are, there are ways to address that. I, could you imagine, like, I mean, I guess people in LA won't quite understand how this works, but storms out here move so quickly that if we were doing this live, there would be a very realistic chance that at least a handful of times over the course of the season doing this together, I would just drop out. It, that, yeah, that would be it. I would, that'd be it. And people are like, where'd he go? <laughs> like, I'm, I'm up in the air. A tornado came down, picked me up. I'm, I'm, I'm up in the air right now. Yeah, I guess maybe if um, live games come back and we end up doing that post-game show we uh, fantasized about earlier this season, yeah. we'll have to make those concessions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, well, hopefully, hopefully. I, it's funny, the very first time we got a tornado warning out here, uh, it was like five in the morning and both Jen and my phones just started blaring, you know, mm-hmm. bam, bam, bam. And uh, they tell us like, all right, there's, there's a tornado warning. And so we live in Leander. So north of us is Liberty Hill. East of us is like Round Rock. South of us is Austin. West of us, mm-hmm. south of us is Cedar Park. West of us is just kind of cow, cow country. And um, it was like, all right, you have a major tornado warning in Liberty Hill, Round Rock, Austin, cow country. <laughs> we're just sitting here like, all right, if we sit really still, maybe nothing will happen to us. <laughs> and I, I told Jen, I was like, well, usually what you're supposed to do is get everybody in the bathtub. If it's really, really serious, should I go get Avery? And she's like, I will have her flying around in a tornado before we wake her up from sleeping. It was the most, it was, it was the most mom reaction that Jen has ever had. It was, it was so perfect. Uh, but yeah, fortunately, you know, it just passed right over us. We were in this like tiny little sliver where we weren't ever really affected. We had some hail and stuff like that, but we never were, were really uh, in much danger. And mm-hmm. it was funny that Jen's, Jen's first reaction was do not wake the sleeping child. I mean, that is the first rule that I have heard about motherhood. So I, I think her instincts are spot on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So far, so good. Yep. All right. Yeah, I was just uh, watching the Lakers-Suns game five from 2010. Apparently, mm-hmm. it's the 10-year anniversary of that one today. Pau Gasol has this, like, incredible miss dunk at the end of the game that I'd forgotten about. Uh, it's, like, on the possession before Phoenix ties the game, like, before our test game winner. Mm. There's no way anybody can miss a dunk like that without being fouled. So I can see why the Lakers were peeved, but there's something about like a spectacular, really ambitious missed dunk. That's just better than so many other NBA. (laughs) I mean, you think about it. Some of like Russell Westbrook's missed dunks Mm -hmm. are better than highlights in like 75% of other sports. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think John Morant is reaching that. Yeah. Well, the thing that always kind of crosses my mind when I see something like that is like, we're just a different species. (laughs) I 
I I'm, I played basketball and and you know at one point or whatever I was fairly athletic, but at no point in my life have I ever thought to myself, "All right, I'm going to take a step inside the free throw line and take off and see what happens." And like that, that's just a regular thing. Like Russell Westbrook is just like, I mean, I, I'll take a step inside the free throw line just, you know, to make it seem more normal, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it's the wildest it's thing. Like, I, I suppose there are people in the way, but like, what could they really do? <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, if you're that athletic, I, I can't blame Russell Westbrook for thinking that he can't be stopped in the air. Like Very true. The, the laws of physics very obviously don't apply to him in the same way when it comes to gravity so motion kinetic energy potential energy stuff like that i mean that's all that's all stuff that probably shouldn't apply to them anyway either so yeah i mean take off where you want to russ we're just gonna sit down here you know and be happy if we tap the backboard yeah <laughs> yeah that's a good point uh i never uh had those like athletic feats when i was younger playing basketball i gave up too early um, but yeah <laughs> my, my athletic feet uh, I mean, I was at one point able, I I can't believe I'm saying this again, but at one point or, or whatever, like senior year of high school through about my third year of college, I was able to dunk. I dunked like a handful of times, maybe once, like once in an actual game and then, you know, warming up and stuff like that, I was able to get up there. And uh, this happened on Locked on Lakers where Pete didn't believe me at all because, and I don't blame him. I'm a 5'10". I mean, because the only highlight we've seen of you is, you know, the one Euro stumble. <laughs> the churro stumble, yeah. Yes. And so, like, you know, he's, he's like, he, he just refused to believe me. Mm-hmm. And Jen, who I'm, I've been with Jen, we, we started dating back my senior year of high school. So mm-hmm. she's seen the evolution or the de-evolution of right. my athleticism over time. And I, I, she just happened to be walking by and I just pulled her in. I said, Jen please tell Pete that I was able to dunk at one point or another. And she just abs, she just Russell Westbrook, John Morant slash Blake Griffin on Timothy Moskov tomahawked (laughs) on me and said, no, I mean, maybe on a smaller hoop, but, but (laughs) I've never felt so small (laughs) and I, I deserve every second of it because like only douches, you know brag about that kind of a thing well you know back in yeah (laughs) back in back in high school i could throw a football over them their mountains you know it was just (laughs) it's it's exactly what i deserve oh well to have the athleticism of our teenage years yeah (laughs) anyway um it seems like we might be able to see nba athletes back in action at a date tbd um so the nba has been releasing I don't know if the NBA has, but uh, Woj and Zach Lowe and everybody and their mother who reports on the league has been reporting about the different postseason options or regular season combination with the postseason that the league is considering because apparently 82 games in the playoffs is, is not cool anymore. Uh, I was just curious. I know yesterday on the Silver Journal podcast, the Taco Tuesday guys talked about their particular choices, but which of these options appeals to you the most? You know, the more I think about it, the more I like this group stage thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I mean, it's just, look, we aren't going to, it's not going to be a normal year anyway. 1 through 16, I feel like is a stab at normalcy with, you know, while it's trying to, I, I feel like it's just straddling the fence. Whereas this year is already so weird that 
you may as well just just go all the way out there and try some of your wildest things as long as you know as long as it doesn't take away from you know the usual legitimacy that we expect from the NBA playoffs right where you know in the NBA it's probably the one sport where year in year out the team that wins the championship the, the championship that was the best team that team exactly. deserved to win that championship and and uh you know it's it's not like football where it's a you know a series of one game sample sizes leading to this really random champion at the end of the year. It's not like hockey where uh, a really hot goalie can steer an eight seed to a championship. Yeah. I like Kings. <laughs> yeah. It's not, it's not like baseball where, you know, you get the right combination, a combination of pitching and timely hitting and a 162 game sample size gets whittled down to a, is it 15? How many games do you have to win? Like, is it 15? You have or? to win three. Yeah, you've won 13 games. I'm oh, yeah, sorry, no, thir- not even 13, 11. Right, right. So so you have to, you go from, you know, the, the, the Dodgers the last few years have either been at or around 100 wins on the regular season, but they haven't been able to get 11 wins that actually count come mm-hmm. playoff time. The NBA is the opposite of all that. It's, it's, it is still a very different game. Teams are still constructed very differently, you know, regular season teams versus postseason teams, whatever. But at the end of the day, for the most, for for the vast majority of championships over the course of NBA history, the team that won that year was the best team. And all I really care about is that that doesn't get taken away from basketball here. I you want some doubt, but you don't want it to make you don't want to make it so quirky. That, you know, like if the Blazers were to get in there and win a championship this year, it'd be great for Blazers fans, but everybody would look at it as this like super weird kind of thing. And this year is already going to lend itself to asterisk talk anyway. Mm-hmm. Just, just, just try to avoid that as best you can. How, how do you feel about it? Right. So I, I don't like the reseeding one to 16 just because I, I only really approve that if the schedules are balanced to begin with. Um, once you have half the team is playing an Eastern conference schedule and the other half playing a Western conference schedule, reseeding them at the playoffs doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me because you've got Eastern conference teams like banking wins against the Knicks and the Calves, you know, all mm-hmm. season. Uh, so I don't, I don't really like that idea unless you go into the start of an 82 game season with that plan. Um, I, I'd be perfectly fine if the league just came in and said, we're only going to play the playoffs. Let's start with the 16 teams that have qualified. Uh, I'm of the belief that like, because everything has changed so much, you know, like the games are going to be Orlando, there's going to be no fans. I kind of like the idea of holding on to something a little more normal, Mm -hmm. something that we've, you know, done the same way over the last few years. Uh, But if there is going to be a change, I I think the group stage has to be the way to go because if you're going to bring more than 16 teams in, you can't have this Damian Lillard situation where a guy's like, I'm going to come to Orlando, but I'm not going to play because I don't believe there's any sense in playing if my team doesn't have a chance of making the playoffs. And if, if they're going to do, you know, just like five regular season games to lead into the playoffs, you're going to have guys like Lillard or Bradley Beal or others sitting out because they have no incentive. Right. And it's the kind of thing that the NBA deals with on a yearly basis anyway, you know, not so much tanking, but like uh, favoring the, the youth movement, right. Isn't that what we call it? The youth movement at the end of the season. Uh, <laughs> So, I mean, like, I don't, I don't mind it. It's something that the league has dealt with, obviously, for eons and eons, and they tried to fix it with the flattening of the lottery odds. I'm not sure how much that actually helped. But if you're going to bring guys to Orlando, you have to give them a reason to play. 
And the group stage seems to give them a reason because even if, you know, Portland gets grouped in the system with like, let's say the Clippers, the Mavericks, the Celtics, and the Jazz, you know, like obviously they wouldn't be the favorites to emerge top two in that scenario, but they have as good of a chance, you know, like with Nurkic coming back or Zach Collins. And I just think it lends itself to a little more stakes, you know, like everybody has a reason to be there and a reason to be invested. And I do think that the top teams, because, you know, they're going to separate it out by tiers, the top teams still have the best chance of getting out. And that's, that's kind of important to me because not just because the Lakers are a top team, but because there has to be some reward for yeah. performing well in the regular season. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I agree completely that that's the part that, you know, in, in all due respect to, to Dame, but when he said that, like, you know, he's going to be sitting there on the bench if, if, if the Blazers are playing games with no hope of making the playoffs, mm-hmm. it's like, I mean, how different is that from the end of any other year? Right. Right. For, for, the, for, for half of the league's teams where, you know, stars and yeah, I mean, you do still get some of those, uh, you know, youth movement type type things and, and those situations where two way players get their opportunity to shine. Right. We, we might not have Alex Caruso if not for the youth movements of years past. Right. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but also, you know, and, and this is what, where this is where, I actually really do kind of harken back to the way that Michael Jordan kind of approached things where he said that, you know, on any given night, if somebody was going to watch the Chicago Bulls play, it was to watch Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. And in on any given night, if somebody's going to watch the Portland Trailblazers play, it's to watch Damian Lillard. And yes, you, you also still have to be smart, but, and, and, and this isn't, Obviously, this is as extraordinary a circumstances as you could possibly hope for. But, you know, I, I still kind of feel like if, if, if the league agrees to go through with this and you're healthy and you're not playing, I don't know. It, some of that kind of rubs me the wrong way, just, just kind of in principle. Now, it's a little different. You know, it, you can be healthy and you can be – mentally concerned right psychologically concerned about playing during this pandemic and and the risks that come with that right Mm -hmm. that like i when i say healthy i mean you are 100 percent ready and willing to play but you aren't because your team doesn't have uh a chance of making the playoffs i I, that that always has kind of rubbed me the wrong way even as these youth movements have kind of gone on over the course of of these seasons and, and as load management has become a bigger deal, but you know, and, and if you are healthy and, and you ought not to play, like one of the decisions the league is going to have to make here, and it's going to be one of the more tricky ones is, all right, well, what about those players who decide they don't want to participate in this, regardless of the team situation that they're in, regardless of, of, you know, what they made over the course of the year. I know Major League Baseball, who we're going to talk about in a bit, but mm-hmm. Major League Baseball has basically said that, like, you know, the, the players at the top of the sport are expected to give back, give back more than uh, the players at the bottom. All the while, owners at the very, very top of the sport aren't really expected to give anything back. But with, uh, with, with these NBA players, if they go into this and they decide, I don't want to play, I don't think the NBA can really afford to pay those guys out for their full amounts over the course of the year. 
but I also don't know if they can afford the PR hit from getting into some public negotiation with those players, you know, who, who consider themselves, you know, at risk or family members of theirs at risk if they don't, if they go do participate in this thing. So, you know, I, I, I think the, the big thing here as we focus on the playoffs is rewarding those teams for actually going out and winning those games. And then, you know, if, if those teams that don't have a chance at the playoffs are so concerned about not, you know, the, the risk that they put themselves through for nothing, essentially, uh, then, you know, do, do those teams all collectively agree, well, all right, we're going to make 85% of or 90% of what we were scheduled to make this year. Um, how do they handle that? And, and that's something that, that that's a conversation I don't think anybody is really looking forward to, but if Dame was, is, is going to be so strong in his politicking to be included in a playoff that frankly, the Blazers don't deserve to be included in, Mm-hmm. then he also has to understand the downside of negotiate those though that kind of negotiating tactic. Yeah, absolutely. I think it would be easier to have sympathy for Dame's position if he had said, you know, I'm uncomfortable going to Orlando and subjecting myself to this situation. Yeah. Um, especially because, you know, there's very little chance of us winning anything. I, I'd be perfectly fine if he had couched it with the winning <laughs> as long as it started with an argument about the virus, because that's a very real thing. I'm sure there are tons of players who don't feel comfortable with this setup. Absolutely. And Joe Eagles feel- was very, you know, he, he hammered it home that like mm-hmm. he, he doesn't know if basketball is worth putting his family at risk. And I can't, I can't blame him for that. Right. And you think <laughs> I, about like Carl Towns, whose parents yeah, both suffered example. from the virus. His mother passed away. Right. I, why would he want to come when mm-hmm. Minnesota has no chance of winning anything this year? And he has experienced the consequences of more than anybody, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and like I, I would feel just it would be such a hard conversation for the NBA to have with Minnesota saying, you know, we understand if you don't want to come, but that means you're not going to get a revenue share from Orlando. Like that's that's a very tricky scenario. And mm-hmm. fortunately for Adam Silver, it seems like the players in the Board of Governors have been working through this relatively harmoniously thus far. Yeah. Um, which bodes well for the tough decisions they're going to have to make soon. Uh, but they're going to be tough decisions, and we've already seen that in other sports start to pop up. So let's take a quick break and then talk about how the NBA compares to what else is going on. All right, so you brought this up earlier about how Major League Baseball has proposed massive salary cuts for its players. Um, and at the, you know, at the outset, it, it kind of makes sense that you'd have to have a natural cut to start because they're playing half as many games, mm-hmm. right? So there is – Admittedly, people are going to have to give something back. That's understandable. But we were talking about this before we came online. Mike Trout and the highest paid players in baseball are getting 20% of their salaries in this proposal. Mike Trout, who has already said he feels uncomfortable about a quarantine situation for the baseball season because he wants to go see the birth of his first child Mm -hmm. in July or sometime this summer. Can you imagine if Adam Silver and the Board of Governors put together a proposal that said, hey, LeBron, Anthony Davis, Kawhi Leonard, uh, because we're not sure if we're going to have fans for the 2021 season, instead of making $35 million, you guys are going to make seven. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
coming up next on Uninterrupted. <laughs> LeBron, LeBron goes full hit him up on oh on Yeah. Here's a, here's the thing that I'm kind of hung up on, and and it really kind of really rubs me the wrong way with how these conversations go, especially in professional sports. You know, seeing as that's what we focus on, mm-hmm. but for some reason we've just decided that owners should just never take a loss, mm-hmm. right? Not only should they never take a loss, they also they they always have to take some kind of a some kind of a profit. Yeah, you know, not even cutting even is good enough for these owners. They they mm-hmm. they have to negotiate their way to no matter the circumstances some type of profit that is commensurate with owning a professional sports franchise to the point where tax you know taxpayer money goes towards paying for for arenas. So you have state funded private equity situations where it's not like the state gets some giant check at the end of, of every year uh, that, that, you know, they benefit from. It is, you know, basically these, these billionaires, more often than not, uh, tell the state, hey, if you don't build us this building, we're going to go to another city, right? And, mm-hmm. and we've already seen that in a, a couple hugely unfortunate situations. And, you know, I'm, I'm watching this take place here with, with uh, Major League Baseball. And, and look, the, the Tampa Bay pitcher whose name uh, slips from my, my mind right now, but he, the way he went about it, right, where he said, you know, I'm not giving up any of my money and it's me this and it's I this. And like, that's not the way to, to make the point that he was trying to make. For one thing, the only way that the players are ever going to win over the owners is through collective bargaining. So anytime right. you have a professional athlete out there going, I, me, and this, that, uh, that, that's already, you've already started to give the owners an advantage there. And then on top of that, you have the court of public opinion where you have, a, what is it, 4 million unemployed people right now? 40. Or it, it might be even higher, right? It's 40 million, yeah. Yeah, thank you, yeah. yeah. 40 million people are unemployed countrywide. And you hear these millionaires and billionaires complaining about, you know, risk and, and cost assessment and all that stuff. And those people who are hard up right now because of this entire situation, the last thing that they want to hear is some perceived spoiled athlete talking about I and me and my money and, you know, my this and, and me that. And, you know, that in and of itself, like that right there, the owners were thrilled when he went and popped off at his mouth there. But, yeah. uh, but that being said, some of the points he was making, albeit indirectly and hilariously poorly, really hold true. That why, why is it that the players are now going to put themselves at more risk than a, any given situation, are now being asked to put themselves at more financial risk also? How does that make any sense? And this I is all is, because the the, yeah. the 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 owners for the first time ever really are facing you know potential losses not 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 you know that they aren't going to cut a profit not that they're going to cut even but because they find themselves at you know potential financial risk 
now the players have to carry the load of that entire financial burden. And it's just, it's just, it's tough to see this, this conversation go on when so many people are hurting nationwide. Yeah. I think I read that the owner of the Oakland A's is worth about $2.1 billion and they just cut, or they just announced that they weren't going to pay minor leaguers at all after June, which I think someone did the math and it uh, amounts to about $780,000 for the rest of the season. That is the amount of money that they have deemed is worthwhile saving to just completely, you know, throw what 20 minor leaguers out into the loop, you know, for cool. three months. Make right? them free agents then. And they just furloughed, um, uh, they've announced, I'm sorry, multiple teams have announced that they're going to furlough all of their scouts after the draft, which I feel like is really just the best way to incentivize your employees is by saying, hey, you know that <laughs> event we work towards every year? <laughs> yeah. We're still going to do that, but then boom, you're gone. Like, thankfully, like we give the NBA a lot of grief, but they committed to paying all of their arena workers, right? We, mm-hmm. um, well, I think the, like the jazz came forward and, and furloughed some people and stuff, but, but yeah. Right. But they started at least with like the highest level people, right? Like yeah. I know the Lakers, uh, Palinka is one of the people that had to take a pay cut. And I mean, that's the place to start, right? Like when you want to save money, you have to start with the highest level earners. When you're cutting minor leaguers who make $400 a week, that's not going to make a dent in your bottom line. Um, yeah. And that's, that's the kind of thing that at least the NBA has optically done better than other leagues. Uh, even if though I'm sure that there are people who are still suffering and financial details that we don't know about, but it's funny. Like I, I was thinking about the NHL the other day because they just announced that they're canceling the rest of the regular season. If they come back and they have this ambitious 2014 playoff plan, that's far too complicated to actually consider. <laughs> uh, but a lot of the players still seem very concerned about the safety of coming back and like hockey to me seems as like it'd be as dangerous as anything else, you know, because it's mm-hmm. a cold environment, which is where virus would have the least trouble spreading. And there's ridiculous amounts of contact between hockey players mm-hmm. uh, and God, professional athletes are all just so disgusting. Uh, <laughs> I imagine the spread is going to be out of control. Uh, it does seem to me that the, at least the NBA at least has maintained some facade of concern for its players. Like the, when the players said that they weren't comfortable coming back to the practice facilities, they moved it back a week. Right. And even then the rollout has been so measured that there are still seven or eight teams that have not yet opened their facilities because the climate in those markets just isn't ready. You know? Um, Yeah. I was anticipating uh, in the NHL that they would announce COVID situations as upper body injuries. (laughs) I guess. That's what I was anticipating here, but to hear to hear NHL players voice that kind of concern uh, was actually really interesting to me. You know, I, I, I think just in general, the amount of honesty that we've gotten from players on this front, and now like you know, Tampa Bay pitcher and Damian Lillard, notwithstanding, right, where Lillard's concern was competition, and then that pitcher's concern was his own bank account. Mm-hmm the amount of honesty that we've gotten and how forthcoming athletes have been with their concerns here, I think really speaks well to this, the, the uh, situation that we have in, in considering professional athletes, human beings still, you Mm -hmm. know, and we still have a long ways to go, frankly, you know, I, I, I still catch myself with my parents telling them all the time, you know, they, they make the case, well, you know, the, the, the country could really use, 
the distraction, you know, to, to get people back out there. And I'd say, well, it's, it doesn't, that seems like a pretty big ask of other people, right? Put yourself at risk because we need a distraction. So like we still have a long ways to go, but you know, the fact that athletes have felt comfortable coming out and saying, yeah, I don't know about this guys. (laughs) And, and for, for hockey players to come out and say that is, is, is incredible because that is considered like the toughest sport, right? That's what everybody looks at is, Hey, that guy just took a puck to the face. Oh, he's, he's playing again. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <all> right. <laughs> yeah, right. He, he rubbed some ice on it and he's, he's good to go uh, back out there again uh, to, to hear those athletes come out and say that, you know, and, and it's been interesting to watch, like you said, the NBA has, has really focused on keeping their players at, you know, and, and safety and the fan safety, everybody's safety at the, at the forefront of their minds when they're making these decisions. Baseball has just been like, how can we be, how can we handle this as badly as possible? That's what they've kind of focused on. NHL has really focused on, all right, what are the games going to look like? What's this playoff going to look like? And then the NFL just basically what's what's coronavirus there's a pandemic happening i'm sorry yeah right that's tony romo's beer right (laughs) and so uh you know you have all of these different leagues going about this in in their different ways and you know as much as we can harp on the minutia of you know does a does a group stage make the most sense does reseeding one through 16 make the most sense uh this bubble that isn't really a bubble uh, how's that going to pan out? You, we're now getting reports that Walt Disney World is going to be opening up its gates right around the time when the NBA is going to be playing their games. Granted, it's in a different facility, right? The mm-hmm. the sports area is is can be walled off from the rest of the park, so you don't get you know mom and dad and and a family of six walking in there to watch some of the best basketball in the world. <laughs> Like that's, that's not really going to happen, but, but while we can gripe about some of the details here, I feel like the way that the NBA is, is handling at least the conversation surrounding coming back is about as positively as you can. Would you agree there? Or do you think there's still more that they could do in that respect? I think a key part of this, and uh, I mean, I've been spending a lot of time watching that Clippers Quibi series this week uh, about the Donald Sterling situation. uh, And to me, that sort of signaled like a shift of when player empowerment really took off in the NBA. And that's something that just doesn't exist in other leagues. Players can speak out. I'm not sure that the commissioner is listening to them. Mm-hmm. But in the NBA, we've seen, you know, the players said, we don't like playing back-to-backs. They reduced them. We want a week off for the All-Star break that happened. You know, uh, they didn't like the basketball and that changed back. Uh, they're seems to be an understanding between Adam Silver and the players. And even though he always says, you know, I work for the 30 team governors, like it seems like he works to please the players and specifically the superstars. And when they speak out, like those are the ideas that you see the NBA appropriating. Right. Um, And yeah, I mean, it seems great that like the NBA is considering player safety. I also just think like they're kind of beholden to the players. The players have too much power in this league. Uh, for them not to consider them first. Yeah, I mean, we just watched The Last Dance, right? And it's interesting mm-hmm. to watch Michael Jordan, who is maybe the the biggest 
superstar athlete that there has ever been. Like, yeah, Ali comes to mind, and that's really about it, right? Um, you know, like Tiger might come to mind, but I don't know if he's like the global icon that that maybe Jordan was at his peak. And you know, like you know, you have other Kobe, LeBron; those guys have claims to those help. I don't think they were quite on Michael's level, and it was just absolutely fascinating to watch this athlete now right we're watching this now in the era of player empowerment superstar empowerment that's how we're we're, that's the the context that we're watching this now and it was just so interesting to me to watch the biggest star that the nba has ever had not be able to apply leverage to keep his own team together like yeah if you if if that same situation were to play out now and you know lebron wanted to keep anthony davis around and they wanted to keep frank vogel around and they wanted to you know do all these things to after winning a couple championships with the lakers but rob polinka just flatly refused to keep vogel around or an important player around or if the bus family just refused to uh, pay those guys, I feel like that would be handled with a, a lot, at least, I mean, there's not much you can do. That's why Reinsdorf is the real villain of that entire documentary, right? Because right. at the end of the day, the owner's going to do what the owner wants. And, and in this case, he winds up doing, just breaking one of the ultimate rules in professional sports, right? Breaking up a champion when they all want to continue to compete together. That's just something you don't do. And it's so interesting now that we're in this era of player empowerment that you're watching that take place. And it's just unfathomable to, 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 to consider that. And you kind of extend that to this situation here where, you know, in years past, Dean says, I don't want to play. Does David Stern say, all right, fine. You're not going to play. You're also not going to get a paycheck. Right. $500,000 for missing that game in Miami. <laughs> right. Right. Like he, here's, do you, do you, uh, if, if, uh, Joe Ingles, you know, now I, I, again, like the difference here is the way that Dame made, uh, his point and the way that Joe Ingles made his point, right? Mm-hmm. Ingles said, I don't know that basketball is worth putting my family at risk. Does David Stern give a rat's ass there? I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, yeah. he, he very, you know, the, the reason, uh, one of the reasons Michael didn't come back that following year, they didn't know who all was going to be able to come back was because that following year, they had a lockout in which Stern said, look, we're just going to wait you out. And eventually you guys are going to go broke and the owners are going to go broke way after you guys will. So mm-hmm. go ahead and play your games and eventually we'll come back and we'll shorter, we'll play a shortened season. And not only will we play that shortened season, but you're going to be playing four games in five nights so that we can get as many games out of that year as possible out of you guys. Right. And now maybe Stern softens over the course of, you know, from then to now, if he's still in charge here, but this is just a very different era. And I, you know, on one hand, I think there has been progress made, you know, I think it's good that athletes feel comfortable coming out and saying, yeah, I don't know about playing in the middle of a global pandemic, but on the other hand, you know, they, they also have to understand that the way that they make their they they make their points, like that affects a lot of people. And mm-hmm. if Damien just focuses on the competition aspect of it and not the pandemic, 
then he opens himself up to criticism. And so, you know, not to go full Spider-Man here, but with that power, with that leverage comes responsibility. And, you know, it was good to see Ingalls make the point that he did. I'm, I'm interested to watch if Dame kind of steps back away from such a hard stance there, uh, given everything that's going on, especially, you know, Portland, it, you know, borders, no, uh, yeah, borders Washington, which was like the, the breakout Initial spot for all, spot, of, yeah. all of COVID. And I'm sure that there are a lot of people in, in, in Washington and even throughout Oregon who are looking at him like, man, what I would give to just be able to work, let alone work in Orlando, be given a five-star resort to be holed up in for a couple months, make sure that I remain safe, even potentially my family remains safe. And also, by the way, get paid just more money that I can wrap my head around. And, and, you know, just so long as I'm all for player empowerment, but they also have to understand, Hey, the way we make our points really effing matters here. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, I know it's like a contained situation that the players have to stay in, but like from the outset, it doesn't seem so bad, right? Like they're, they're in Disney world. They're allowed to presumably use some of the park's attractions while they're there. Uh, there's really nice facilities. It's not even a strict bubble. Like we talked about last week, they can go <laughs> right. in and out. Yeah. Uh, there, there are worse ways to spend your time in quarantine. Uh, and I think, like you said, the, the situation that the rest of the country is going through, it's going to be harder and harder to have sympathy for statements like what Damien said. Yeah. Yeah. Well, another conversation I suppose to have. <laughs> Uh, how do you do you think do you think at some point so one of the things i think really worth keeping in mind here um and Woj even kind of alluded to this in one of his sports center hits was the amount of politicking that's going on and the amount of public negotiating that's going on like this is they just now decided hey we are really gonna save this season right Mm -hmm. and games if and when they resume wouldn't be till mid-july which gives them about a month and a half to figure all of this out. Um, and so I, I really feel like how strong some parties are coming down on different sides of different issues here has a lot to do with, you know, just public negotiating. And so I've, you know, everything that I've kind of heard, I've taken with a grain of salt with that being the case, but, you know, from where you're sitting, uh, and 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 watching some of these negotiations take place, do you think that's the right way to look at this, or do you think some some of the you know the people making these points really honestly feel that way, and and would stand true to their guns here? I mean, I, I think it's fairly transparent that Damian Lillard saying, "Give me twenty teams so that I have a reason to go to Orlando," <laughs> yeah. and I think it's fairly transparent that when Mark Cuban says he doesn't want to play in seed for the seven seed, it's because a play in game for the seven seed, it's because oh wait, the Mavericks are in the seven seed. <laughs> Weird. Even though it has the same contours as the play-in tournament that everybody else is proposing, just move it down one seed. <laughs> uh, you know, like when and Le- LeBron James did the same thing, right? When reports came out that uh, players were concerned about coming back, he said, absolutely not. Like we all want to play. Um, not that he speaks for everybody else. You know, he at best speaks for the 15 guys on the Lakers. Uh, I do think we're going to be seeing or hearing a lot of these plans and arguments being floated through 
different sources like you know Chris Haynes has his guys Shams and Woj have their guys uh, you know who's telling them what based on which source is reporting it right right uh, so I, I do think it's fair to have an appropriate level of I don't I don't know if distrust is the lack of just you know be careful with what you're hearing it's not necessarily all coming from a purely honest place of concern it's people have their own agendas to fulfill and that's that's fine we all do uh, it's just important to keep that in mind yeah yeah all right well hopefully by the next time we talk we'll have more uh concrete things to discuss regarding the nba's plans i'm open for something either super wacky or super normal i don't want any in between (laughs) (laughs) you're you're spending way too much time around me we've been doing the show for like a few weeks now and you've you're like all right either end of the spectrum that's where i that's where i reside that's where i want to land yeah (laughs) (laughs) forget this middle ground yeah (laughs) All right. Well, uh, this is a fun conversation, Anthony. Uh, thank you all for listening. Make sure to subscribe to the Silver Screen and Roll podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your shows and have a nice day.